The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello and welcome to On The Ledge podcast, the podcast for the people who like houseplants. And that's you, isn't it? Yes, I thought so. I'm your host, Jane Perone, And in this week's show, we're talking cacti and succulents with a legendary nurseryman, Ulrich Hager of German cactus nursery, Cactine Hager. And I answer a question about a brutal chop to a Monstra Deliciosa. My hand is very sore right now. There are two reasons for that. Reason one, I have been writing hundreds, and I do mean hundreds, of cards to Patreon subscribers. If you're outside the UK, your card is at this moment in the post, if you're listening reasonably soon after publication, obviously. And if you are in the UK, I am still writing those cards. Obviously, they won't take as long to arrive. So they will go in the post this coming week. So in other words, if you're a patron at the legend or superfan level, look out for your card. And if you get your card, please, please put it on social media and uh, tell me how messy my handwriting is and how you can't read it because, <laughs> because I have appalling handwriting. I should say that my daughter wrote the labels for the ones that had extra characters in it. So that's why the writing on the front of the card is neater than the writing inside. Second reason why I have a sore hand, I've been putting together a wardrobe for my son. Never let me buy flat pack furniture again, listeners. And my hand is <laughs> really sore as a result. Thank you to my new patrons this week, Amanda, Monica, Riley H, hope I've said that right, and Carol, all became legends this week. So thank you. Round of applause to you. And if you want to find out how to join the legend clan or the superfan clan or the crazy plant person clan of On The Ledge patronage, then check out the show notes at janeperone.com. It's quite easy. You can choose to pay monthly or get a discount if you pay annually. And all the money that goes into that pot helps to support the show, paying for cool things like transcriptions and my assistant Kelly. Some lovely feedback from the Laker episode. Thank you to Leon, long-term listener and indeed a plant science professional for pointing out my mispronunciation of the word cat iron exchange. This is the problem when you spend all your time with your head in books and you never actually hear these words spoken. So I talked about cation exchange in relation to Laker and I called it cation exchange, which is just how I thought it was pronounced, but it's not. It's cation. And Leon goes on to explain, it refers to positively charged ions like calcium and iron atoms or molecules that have been stripped of electrons. These are in contrast to anions, which are negatively charged atoms or molecules in the soil, like sulfate that has more electrons than protons. Thank you, Leon. I'm always learning and always happy to be corrected by those who know better. So thank you for that. And I shall now say cation exchange from now on. Thank you also to Asterisk, who put a comment on the show notes on my website, janeperone.com. And Asterisk, that's literally what they call themselves, uh, have said that they really recommend soaking Laker for a day before using it for the first time. I did talk about rinsing. They're suggesting soaking it for a whole day because that helps to get rid of more of that dust that gets lodged in all the pores. And Asterisk, you apologise for your wobbly English. Your English is it's perfect. I just, I mean, I salute you as <laughs> somebody with a smattering of Italian and very poor French after years of learning it at school. You're doing great. 
And Vivian got in touch from Calgary, Alberta. Oh, I bet it's chilly there right now. Lovely place, though. Asking about Laker and Vivian is still confused. I'm sorry you're still confused, Vivian. So yes, you're right. It has no nutritional value. Vivian is still confused about feeding processes for Laker. So if you're using it as your entire substitute for soil, so there's no soil involved, then yes, you're going to be required to add every single drop of nutrients that that plant will need. And that includes the main three, nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium, but also the trace nutrients that are generally quite available in soil and therefore are often not added into houseplant fertilisers. Although, yeah, caveat to that, some of the more modern houseplant feeds are starting to introduce more of these trace nutrients. So what do you do? Well, what you need to look for, Vivian, is a hydroponic houseplant fertilizer. Um, If you happen to have a grow shop or a hydroponic shop where you live, I would go there and ask for advice because they will be able to help you and negotiate the minefield that is feeds for hydroponic systems. There are so many different products out there. The main things you need to be looking for is that it's a feed that's for hydroponics. Now, some of the houseplant feeds that can be used on organic substrates can also be used on hydroponics. So I'm thinking in the UK of one called Liquid Gold Leaf. I'm sure there are others. Basically, read the small print on your label, see exactly what that feed is meant to cover. But you're looking for a feed that is something that you can easily dilute and that contains both the main three nutrients plus all the trace nutrients. Uh, Those should be listed on the label and you should be able to see exactly what you're getting. But yes, seek advice from your grow shop or hydroponics shop. But that's where to start looking for that hydroponic feed and making sure that you are carefully monitoring what you're adding. I should do more on hydroponics. Let's uh, schedule that in for 2022, shall we? But I hope that helps a little bit, Vivian. If you were to ask me about my happy place, it would probably be a toss up between riding along a beach on a horse, not on a bicycle, (laughs) or spending time in a big glass house looking at plants. Probably in my case, cacti and succulents. So I was delighted to welcome Ulrich Hager, I hope I've said that right, onto On The Ledge podcast, a fellow podcaster and the man in charge of the wonderful German cactus nursery, the oldest cactus nursery in the world, apparently, Cactine Hager. To start, I wanted to find out how this historic nursery began. The cactus stuff is starting uh, about 200 years ago now, in 1822, my ancestor um, went to Saxonia and he had an apprenticeship uh, on the royal court in, in Saxony. And to make it short, he he was quite good in his job even in the earlier years. So he finished uh, this apprenticeship uh, with, I think, great success. Um, he received a cutting of uh, the Queen of the Night from the uh, royal head gardener and uh, so he went back home to to Erfurt and uh, he started running a nursery and I think he maybe a lot of of people know when you get in contact with cacti you will uh, stick on it probably quite sure and so he did and so he he started the nursery and uh, quite quite soon he was specialized also in cacti and so this was the reason he started doing a job with with cacti which was quite rare in this time but the the history is is going back even further we know there have been gardeners uh, back to 1684 here in Erfurt Obviously, Queen of the Night was right there from the beginning. What are the main species or or genera that you're growing now? And um, are you seeing particular demand for certain things from your customers? Well, yeah, that's that's changing all the time. That's quite sure. When my my grandfather, Walter Hage, he was very keen on Astrophytum, the, the star cactus, 
So he did his, uh, he, he wanted to become a botanist and in the uh, golden 1920s, I think it's, it's probably the same uh, crazy time as we have right now. So he had time to um, do scientific work and he uh, chose the genus uh, Astrophytum to do back crossing, which was the common w uh, scientific work to find out relationships between two species. From uh, from this time, we we have a very huge collection of, of quite old Astrophytum stock plants. And of course, we have many others. So I, when I look back in history, you will find uh, there are uh, plants uh, very common. And, and uh, a few years later, the, the star is fading. And uh, so the interesting, the interest is going back. And another thing is, is coming up. So I think in, in this time, we have a lot of interest in, in Hoya or in Epiphyllum or Epicactus hybrid. So the, the epiphytic growing cacti from the trees. Uh, so we, we find uh, a, a different interest right now. So if the epiphytes are on the rise, are there things now that are a lot less popular? What's not popular that you've kind of had to reduce your production on? About 20 years ago, we, we found a big interest in uh, plants which are uh, covered by the uh, by cytis, um, so uh, endangered plants, cacti. So we we try to propagate a lot of those plants, and then uh, I think people got interested because the the, the prices uh, were reasonable high. So many many plants. I think it was the time of of uh, eBay uh, was starting uh, going through the market. And so we found uh, a lot of, of private, co uh, private collectors uh, propagating uh, Aricarpus. And uh, sooner or later, you, you could buy, I don't know, a lot of older plants on eBay. And so we had to decide um, what to do with uh, our propagation. And so we, we decided to put... Uh, all those propagated, freshly propagated plants in in uh, a smaller glass house, because uh, when we would try to sell them, I was a bit afraid of uh, flooding the market. And so, yeah, it's about twenty years ago. Uh, the plants had a good time to grow. Now they look really beautiful. It was about. Uh, Eight eight years ago, nobody uh, nobody wants to buy Ariocarpus, and uh, but I think I think there is a, a coming interest up uh, right now, and I hope to to uh, have those uh, plants uh, back on on the market. Yeah, that's interesting, Ariocarpus. I mean, they're they're I guess in a way, if you perhaps a bit less well known than something like Horworthia, but they're a similar kind of rosette cactus. The one that I keep seeing on Instagram is um, one, and I guess this is a cultivar called Godzilla, which is, is that a, with the really sort of roughly, um, I mean, like, I guess it looks like Godzilla is the idea. Um, that one seems to be really popular on Instagram, I guess, because it looks so yes. weird. So that's a, we, we have uh, always, uh, so if, if the main part of a genus is going common, you uh, quite often you will find uh, something new, uh, a cultivar or uh, a rare or a new discovered species. Um, so it's, it's not, and so nothing is gone forever, I think. So you have still some some people which are working um, scientifically with with their plants, and so I think it's there is still uh, interest over the years. But uh, I'm I'm talking about the the larger numbers of sales. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think uh, the crazes do come and go. Do you have keep an eye on social media and what's going on in terms of what you're seeing um, trend wise? Is that hard to keep on top of? Yeah, that's right. So we we got a lot of of plants, especially from from Asia, Thailand, and and so they have amazing plants which I have never seen before. So they have I don't know red colored uh, euphorbias or yeah Godzilla is is one of it and and I think they have uh, greenish or or reddish plants of of this also of this uh, cultivar and there are many plants which will be uh, rare or not coming to Europe at least. Let's talk about Hoya because. I know that you grow lots of Hoyas and I know that they are something that is at the moment at the top of the wheel of fortune, if I can say. Lots of people want Hoyas. Has that been something you've rapidly expanded in the last couple of years? We started back in, it must it must be about 2007. This story is, is also quite interesting. We, we uh, got a, a contact from the son of a colleague of my grandfather and uh, if, if from Netherlands. He was quite keen in Hoyas. So uh, his, his father was a cactus gardener too. So this was the reason for, for the uh, friendship with my grandfather. And, and he come back later with Hoya and he... Uh, I, I don't know. I think he was around the world to collect and to discover Hoyas all over. And later he had to decide to, to uh, close the nursery. And so he offered us to keep his collection. On this way, we, we had from one day to another uh, a huge Hoya collection with a lot of rare stuff. To be honest, it's quite difficult for a cactus gardener to keep up with Hoyas because usually they have a complete opposite uh, way of uh, yeah, of cultivation because they, they need wet and slightly shady, moist conditions in, in the glasshouse. So we have to water your plants, which is kind of horror for any cactus gardener. <laughs> and so it was quite <laughs> difficult for us to uh, get used to this strange uh, yes habit of of uh, treating plants and how many different hoya species and cultivars roughly are you growing is it well i think it's it's about 160 currently these are the plants we can propagate from we have also a bunch of plants which are um, yes, we just keep in in the hope to to get uh, a handful of cuttings uh, some some time. So we have also some uh, more problematic prob oh yeah, difficult word prob problematic <laughs> plant, <laughs> which which doesn't really grow for us. Yeah, well, I sympathise. I've got a couple of hoyas which I just can't get to grips yeah. with how to grow. Or how to get them to grow with any... They sort of put on a spurt of of growth and then that's it for another year. My Hoya obovata is one of these. And I was I got very excited when it put out two leaves uh, in the springtime. And, and then I managed to damage one of them accidentally, which Ooh. is annoying. And then since then, it's just sat there. And I'm just... I don't know what else I can do. It's amazing because then some other Hoyas I've got absolutely they just sit there for a couple of years and they suddenly go crazy so who knows i think hoyas are wonderful plants but sometimes they can be a bit of a mystery that's true yeah absolutely <laughs> and do you find that it's the uh, and i don't really like this word but the splash hoyas that are the most popular the ones that have got kind of silvery markings um and lots of variegation yeah, on Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I look at, at, at plants with uh, two eyes. I mean, uh, one is uh, the part which is kind of interesting for me and the other one is uh, what people are expect. And I think people are going mad about the splashed plants. 
And that's true, especially with Hoya. I mean, oftentimes these plants are being sold as splash, which obviously is not a botanical, you know, it's not it's not a taxonomic um, description. But is there any way if you've got, say, I'm thinking of my Hoya Matilde, which is mm-hmm. a hybrid, but has sort of splashy leaves. Is there any way that I can make it more splashy? I think it's a, um, it's a sport. So it's it's like a variegation. It, there are people. Um, there is a theory you you could uh, change this with um, over um, fertilization, but there are also studies which uh, says it's not true. So I'm I'd never tried to to manipulate uh, plants like this. Um, so I'm I'm not sure if if there is a way. So I I don't have any idea how to change in the uh, one or another way. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I don't really want to mess up my Hoya Matilde by over fertilizing it or experimenting too much. It's it's I'm not that bothered about how many silver splashes it has <laughs> on it, but um, <laughs> but I know that it's if I had you know endless room and time, I think I'd you know get some cuttings going and try different locations and feeding regimes. But I'm sure one of my listeners uh, uh, will be able to do that because um, they're endlessly inventive. But it is interesting to see how you know these trends change i'm thinking at some point there might be a trend where somebody just wants a plain green leaf you know <laughs> maybe the tables will turn in a few years um but for the minute the variegation seems to be really really yeah, popular one of the questions i wanted to ask was about things that i used to be able to buy easily that you don't seem to get be able to get so commonly. And I can't figure out why this is. So I'm thinking about some of the rat tail cacti species and things like um, Echinopsis camisarius, the um, peanut cactus. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I seem to remember them being really quite common mm-hmm. when I was a kid, but they don't seem to be now. Is that just lack of propagation material or is there some other reason? No, I think it's lack of interest. So when when you go back to the time where those plants were right common, quite common, and and you could find them everywhere, uh, I think it's a question. Most of the plants which are offered right now, uh, so you you just have to to check the 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 channels where the, where the plants come from. And when you go to the supermarket or the garden center, so there are huge uh, nurseries in, I don't know, large scale. It's it's two or uh, 10,000 square meters of glass houses. And they maybe propagate uh, on this areas, maybe five or 20 different species of, of cacti. And so you have a very small number of of uh, species, but a huge number of of output, which automatically reduces the availability of a wider range on the market. So um, this makes a cactus quite uh, obvious. So you you can see a, a large number of of plants on every spot on the market. And so if there is a small nursery specialized in, let me say, propagating uh, the peanut cactus, you you won't be able to see it on the market because maybe they produce a lot of plants. Maybe they produce every year 10,000 plants, which was 20 years ago a big number. Uh, so they have to to be compared with uh, a number of 200 million or 2 billion other plants which are on the market. So you won't see them. It's just a question of the numbers. But they are around and, and there are still, of course, smaller nurseries which, uh, which are specialized and produce a, a larger number of different uh, species or genus. 
So uh, there is in, in Italy a Panarotto cactus, for instance, um, and they're specialized in, in uh, Echinopsis hybrids or, or, uh, or peanut cactus. They have a wide range. And we have in our nursery, so it's quite quite funny you ask just this pl for this plant. We we got a, a collection from a hybridizer uh, who died uh, three years ago, and uh, so he was also specialized in in the peanut cactus, and he he made a lot of really breathtaking uh, hybrids, which coming on the market probably in the coming years. Ooh, um, how exciting. So, yes, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I think there are around, but yeah, it's, it's just, uh, uh, find uh, one uh, drop of water in, in, uh, in a river. It's, it's quite difficult. Yeah. I think this is the reason. That's a really good point. As you say, if you've got a huge scale, economy of scale of producing yeah. cacti, like, of course, they're going to produce millions of a particular mm -hmm. species that, that works and that they can sell and that reaches a certain size. And so, yeah, you, you get less variation than, than a, a small grower who is just propagating on a much smaller scale. So yeah, that's a mm -hmm. really interesting point. And I guess that's why it's great that we have got the smaller growers doing interesting breeding and, and doing cool stuff because, you, you know, it's, of course, demand is there for us. So we need to have these huge growers, but also these specialists are doing some really cool things as well. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Would you like to stake a claim to your favorite cactus succulent species? Is there anything that you absolutely love, but you can't understand why it's not more popular? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, there are also always uh, plants which, yeah, there is always a reason. I, I just think about uh, Opuntia. So it, nobody really likes Opuntia, because they're just spiny and they have these ugly, uh, fine uh, glochids uh, which stay in your finger for a month or so. And you, you won't be able to remove it even with a pair of tweezers. And it, yeah, nobody really likes them, but uh, they're fun. And I, uh, to be honest, I, uh, I, I like to eat them. But the most people, uh, most people stay uh, as far as possible from <laughs> from uh, those plants uh, because they have had maybe uh, a bad contact with them in earlier times, which I had in fact too. So uh, there is there is a funny funny story. We when when I grew up as, as a kid, um, we have a, a, a pool in the nursery. Which was used to to collect uh, water in case of fire. And when we we were kids, we were allowed to um, have a bath in there when all the workers went home in the summer. But the problem is, on one side of this pool was the water, and on the other side was the bed with the opuntia. And uh, sometimes uh, if you you jumped into the water, but I think one or two times I fell into the opuntias and it was a quite <laughs> amazing <Ow>. afternoon then <laughs> uh, uh, getting an operation from my mother to to get all the spines, the, the, the tiny glockets removed from the skin. Wow. <laughs> 
That sounds interesting. <laughs> yes, but this is probably another way to get infected uh, by cacti. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Very true. It's interesting on the Apuntia. I've just written a chapter of my book about Apuntia microdaisies and talking about all the different ways that people tried to remove the glockids. And oh yeah, uh, just going back to your uh, edible Apuntia point, are you eating the pads, the fruits? What part do you enjoy? Usually everything. I mean, once a year we have a cactus dinner, uh, which is mainly made from from the Opuntia pads. But to be honest, we we don't uh, produce them here anymore because we would probably have need one or two glass houses just to to produce a lot of mm. uh, a lot of uh, those pads. So we, we're buying them directly from Mexico. And of course, uh, so there are quite, um, you can use them for, for every part. So it's a, it's a five course dinner or at least at a five course dinner. And so we, we need a lot of Apuntia pads, can make a soup or a salad, or you can, uh, have them as vegetable with, uh, meat or fish and, of course, you have them as vegetable on their own. And we quite often we have them also for dessert. And of course, we, we also have, will have the um, tunas or the pitahayas. So the, the fruit of, of the queen of the night were quite frequently used for the dinner too. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm always amazed how creative cooks can be if if they are free to decide what to do how exciting to have a whole meal made from <laughs> from cacti i think that sounds so <laughs> yeah. cool if you've got what pads with spines is there a special way to remove the spines what do you do about that well it's quite easy if you you just take your your a sponge it's a, just an ordinary uh, kitchen sponge and you just uh, rub the spines from from there areoles if you have very big areoles you you can just use a sharp knife uh, doing a cut and and cutting off the just the 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 areoles with the spines and then you can just remove it with a with a towel and that's it oh great that's okay well i've never seen them have i seen them for sale in this country maybe if i went to london probably i would i would be able to get hold of them i have had um a meal made of cacti which was at the cactus world live event that we was held here in the uk um a couple of years ago pre-covid and it was delicious so i'm yeah i'm excited yeah. to be able to try some more i'm quite sure i have seen apuntias in in sainsbury's uh, really in, in okay the, uh, which yes i'm gonna have sure. to go and check <laughs> look look more <laughs> Closely a few years ago in the vegetable yeah. <laughs> aisles. More from Ulrich shortly, but now it's time for question of the week, which comes from Zoe. And Zoe is looking for some advice about a Thai constellation monstera, which Zoe says is about the same age as mine and from the same source. Yes, I think it probably is. So you're talking sort of. Well, I think I got mine in September 2018. So where are we? Have a old oh, that makes it. <laughs> and Zoe sent a picture of her tie. It, yeah, it does look about the same size as mine. I, I guess slightly more mature because Zoe has not chopped hers, whereas I have. Zoe says, I haven't taken any cuttings from it yet, but we've moved house and it's become unwieldy and hard to find a place in the house. Would it be a terrible time to take cuttings now? I think half the problem is that it's quite top heavy. It's not actively pushing out new leaves, but it is putting out a new aerial root. I don't want to lose those beautiful top leaves, but need to do what's best for the plant. Just not sure if that's cutting it now or waiting. Well, I have a lot of personal experience on this one. What I think I would do, Zoe, is I would air layer the top of the plant now, start doing that now so that come spring, you can then cut just below where you've air layered it. That way you will have two plants then. You will have the top growth, which will have all the beautiful, really fenestrated mature leaves, and you'll have the plant below. And at that point, you can make a choice. You might want to 
put them both into one bigger pot or you might want to have them in separate pots. But the plant below will bounce back very quickly. As you may remember, listeners, I've done this with both of my Thai constellations. So air layering with this kind of plant is really quite simple. If you were doing something like a Dracaena with a woody stem, I would recommend scoring the bark and all sorts. But with this plant, really, all you need to do is just get some, well, what would I use? Probably a clear plastic bag and some coir or some moss. And then you've just got to do the very awkward business of wrapping that package around a node where you've got some aerial roots coming out, ideally, and make sure it's damp, that substrate, whatever it is, the moss or the coir, wrap it round and secure it in place. The reason for the clear plastic is then you can see when the roots are growing. And within a few weeks, it should root quite vigorously into that little mass of substrate that you've provided. And once it's rooted really well, you can then just chop it off. So that should probably take you, Zoe, to roughly springtime. And then you can just cut off just below the place where you've propagated, where you've grown those extra new roots. Use a hacksaw or something like that, because it is quite, I can see on your plant, it's the same as mine. It's going to be about, well, it's going to be at least two to three to four to five centimetres across that stem in diameter. So get a clean hacksaw. I just sterilise mine by running it under naked flame of my gas hob. Uh, and then hack away below the, the rooted point. Remove the plant. You might need to trim a bit once you get it off if you haven't managed to get that cut exactly where you wanted it. But trim that down. Then you can just plant that into the soil. You could put it in water if you wanted, but I would probably just put it straight into soil if you've got that good root system going and the roots are you know, reasonably extensive, they'll probably go absolutely nuts and sort of fill that container before you chop it off. Provided you've got that kind of root system going, then it can go straight into soil. And you'll find that spring will be a good point as the light gets longer, days get longer for the base of the plant, which you've chopped, to regenerate with new leaves. And what you'll find will happen is that a shoot will come out just slightly to the side of the stem and send the plant off in a slightly different direction and you will get new growth. And it's as easy as that. This is a really actually tough plant. If you've been growing it this well so far, Zoe, this will not be a problem for you. That is what I'd recommend doing because that way you won't risk taking off that top part and any rot problems occurring at any point, particularly in the winter when growth might be slower. But yeah, that's what you need to do. I hope I've explained that well enough. I'm just trying to think if I've missed anything out in terms of my explanation. The other thing to say is you can buy these rooting balls, um, which are like plastic moulds that go around the stem and you can fill them with the substrate and they open up quite easily. I presume they come in quite large sizes, which is what you would need for this project, because obviously the stem's really thick. Personally, you know me clear plastic bag from the recycling, bit of substrate, Bob's your uncle. But if you want to go down the more official route, then a rooting ball would work too. And that plant just wants to grow. So I have no doubt that it will do very nicely. And then it's up to you whether you want to, as I say, put them in together, give one away. If you put them in the pot together, obviously they're going to keep growing. But I would recommend this for anyone with a uh, uh, Monstera Deliciosa that is getting out of hand, give it a chop. It really won't do any harm. And particularly if you air layer it first, you are on the road to success. I hope that helps, Zoe. And I will be answering the festive questions next week. I intend to have a glass of mulled wine by my side and it will be basically unedited. I'm going to go for a sort of stream of consciousness approach. So that could be fun. And I have about well, I think I have about six or seven questions to answer on everything from Christmas cactus to hippiastrum to paper white narcissi. So that should be fun. If you've got another question for On The Ledge, please do drop me a line on the ledge podcast at gmail.com and I will do my damnedest to give you some form of answer. And now it's time to head back to our chat with Ulrich. Tell me 
a little bit about the Christmas period. Is this a big sales period for you? And what kind of thing, what cacti or succulents do people buy for Christmas? Well, a Christmas cacti. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, yes. how could I even? Of course. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think of that. Um <laughs> um, I mean, and I guess, are they having a resurgence as well? I mean, they've always been popular, really. People have had them in, you know, one plant that's lasted for generations, presumably still really popular. So Germans are a very serious person, all, all of them, and uh, they they love statistics. And I think it's quite interesting. Uh, Schlumbergera and, and Rhipsolidopsis is the only cactus which is has an appearance in the German uh, trade uh, statistics. So uh, the group of, of cacti are not uh, of interest there. So the, the whole group is that doesn't exist in statistics, but uh, Schlumbergera do. That's, that's really amazing. So if you, if you wanted to see the numbers of uh, plants uh, sold in, in uh, Germany or even uh, over, all over Europe, uh, you, you can have a number of Schlumbergera, but uh, no other cactus or even the, the, the group of cacti. Interesting. Other yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite funny. So they are, they are sold in such big numbers and and i think it's it's interesting especially because there are i think three nurseries in in europe producing those millions or billions of of plants only three produce only three two in denmark and one in netherlands wow that is amazing i mean i guess that's a yes. specialist thing that they just concentrate on that particular yeah species wow yes. that's incredible well i do love uh christmas i mean i, I people i'm constantly seeing people asking the same question online which is do i have a christmas cactus or a thanksgiving cactus and my answer is always kind of like <laughs> well who knows really <laughs> <laughs> they all seem to flower at different times and they all, I mean, they've been so widely hybridized. I don't know if you can ever really, I mean, obviously the Easter cactus uh, is a, is a different species and is dis more distinct, but is there really a difference between, can you sort of firmly say, well, this is Christmas because it, yes. Okay. Give me the, give me the chapter yeah. and verse because I've never quite got to grips with this. It's it's quite easy. So you have uh, you must help me with a with a uh, name. But uh, so you have a, a, a radial flower. Is it right? Radial. Radial. Yeah. It's a circle. So the the flower when you when you cut the flower in half. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you cut. You will ha al always have two identical parts of halves. This is Easter cactus. This is Ripsolidopsis and. If you have a symmetrical uh, flower, so which is like orchids, if you cut an orchid flower in half, you have you can you have one one line where you can cut it to find two identical parts. It's symmetrical. So that's the Christmas cactus we're talking about now that is symmetrical. Exactly. Then we've got Thanksgiving. This is the one that gets me. The problem is those those plants love to flower. So they they take nearly every uh, celebration uh, to put out new flowers. So it's quite common to have the Christmas cacti also flowering on Easter. And of course, they might be able to flower also on Thanksgiving. So this is the reason why they flower. So it's it's quite difficult to get a hold of them just on the on the day of of their flower. This is not a secure uh, identification. It's quite difficult. So, but the flowers when when you just uh, imagine uh, to to cut the flowers in half, you can. Uh, it's quite easy to identify them. And w let's just talk about another aspect of Christmas, which is something my listeners are constantly complaining about. And, and I don't know whether you want to put the other side of the argument here or whether you'll agree, but <laughs> lots of listeners send me horrified messages and photos of 
spray-painted succulents and cacti covered in glitter at Christmas time and cacti that have been dressed as Santa with Google eyes and a hat. <laughs> and this causes great <laughs> horror to my listeners. Yes. What's your take on it? Uh, I think we, we should also not forget uh, the cactus who's gluing in the dark. Yes. And yes. <laughs> I got sent one of those a few years ago. Uh, I don't like it. Hooray. Because, um, <laughs> I'm so relieved. It, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's really, it's really easy. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's like if you have, uh, we we started with uh, not liking uh, having uh, straw straw flowers, so so artificial flowers uh, on, yeah. on the cacti, yep. and so there you had a, a minor damage on the plant, which quite quite often, uh, if you didn't remove the spines from the plant, uh, took took them to death, and. Yeah, and and covering a plant with with color or or yeah spray or whatever, uh, so it will just block out every light and and the plant will will die. It's it's quite easy and it's this is not the thing I want to do with my plants, so I don't like it. What are the rationales that the people doing this are using? Is it that they can just make more money because it's it sells for more? No, I think it's just a thing. Um, so. Probably no serious cactus lover will buy a plant which is covered in glitter because he's usually interested in the plant and not in the glitter, yeah, which he had to remove to 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 save the plant so um, those plants will be bought by people which are not interested in the plants, and it's it's just it's a cover so they will throw the plant away after Christmas is gone and that's it. And I think they, they are produced. So I, I know of some nurseries uh, which are producing those plants and they just throw it in the market and that's gone. So it's, it's probably not the same customer who is interested in, in, in house plants uh, but it's uh, a kind of yeah, like I don't know, a wooden Christmas thing for for the the for the ledge, or yeah, you know, it's it's. I don't think uh, a serious plant person would buy a, a thing like this. You know, a lot of people buy those cacti with the fake flowers on them, really believing that the plant is in flower, and it's kind of tragic. And it happens with other plants as well, like the strelitzia is often sold with a plastic flower in it, which makes me laugh. The bird of paradise, oh, really? Yes, I've seen that. <laughs> I haven't they, seen that. They literally—it's like a stake, and it goes into the pot, and it's—it's it's, you know, like I don't know whether people believe it's real or i suppose that it's showing what it's going to do but it just seems like a terrible waste of plastic to me <laughs> i got calls and and people t asking me well my cactus is flowering but it's dead <laughs> so the, the plant was rotten but they still had the wide open flower and i ask how, how long for it's the plant flowering well about 10 years <laughs> Yes, and it's yeah. it's not good, is it? It's not Funny good. Funny moments. Yeah. <laughs> and you have your own podcast. Tell me a bit about that. Well, yes, we have a lot of visitors here and, and they like to walking around in the nursery and, and getting uh, stories told about the plants or kind of history and things like this. And so I decided, so I have to tell a lot of, of stories and also my parents and my sister. And then I came across the idea of, uh, well, not everybody is able to, to come here, but maybe I can go out to tell them, uh, outside. So, and, and two or three years ago, interest in podcasts were, were rising. And I said, well, that's probably a good idea to bring the stories to the people instead of getting the people here. 
and it just it was just a few months before uh, COVID, and uh, so it was quite a good idea, and I love it to tell people stories. But uh, currently, uh, you know, I'm German, uh, thinking of being too serious and too too uh, <laughs> trying to to be too scientific. So this is one of the reasons uh, why I love your podcast because it's always a thing of uh, you can can laugh about it and it's it's yeah it's really entertaining and I uh, which is not so easy for us Germans to to <laughs> be like this. <laughs> I think you're doing yourself a, a disservice there. I mean I'm so excited that podcasts are opening up more and more in in the world of houseplants and different niches which is absolutely brilliant and I will put a link in the show notes to to your podcast. Do you have anything you can tell us about that you're working on that you think might be the next big thing? You mentioned uh, a minute before uh, red tail cacti. And I think there is a growing interest. So I, I got some signals from the United States. Uh, so there are uh, some people who are interested and who are trying to collect more hybrids. And probably there is something coming up. And my idea is coming from uh, we just facing an exploding demand on on uh, epiphyllum hybrids or epicactus hybrids. We have so many people, especially um, originated from Asia, which are buying epicactus hybrids like mad. The first time I realized we have a quarter of our sales area completely emptied and we had no plants to refill. And this was a thing I, I was never faced. So probably the nursery was never faced <laughs> like this. So we had nothing to fill in this space. And this was really new to us. And I, I had, you can believe me, I had uh, several sleepless nights how to, to go on with this, how to keep with this. Because you just sold out completely of those plants. Yes. Oh, wow. And there's nobody who could you could buy uh, new plants or even cuttings from. Yeah, oh, well, that's an interesting one to think about for the future, and I'm sure you're right that uh, that's on the on the rise. It's been really fascinating to chat to you, and it's so interesting to hear your perspective um, as a German cactus nursery. And I love talking to people all around the world. So it's a real treat to talk to you. And one day I hope to come and visit and be able to enjoy. Uh, actually seeing some of your incredible collection and um yeah hopefully not diving into a bed of apuntias uh, in the process <laughs> <laughs> well no i don't think so <laughs> it's quite safe right now yeah thanks so much to ulrich for joining me this week what a delight and do check out the show notes as ever for pictures of Kakteen Haga Nursery and links to Ulrich's podcast and more. That's all for this week's show. I shall see you next Friday. I'm off to eat my body weight in mince pies. Take care. Bye. music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops, The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Young by Komiku, and I Snost I Lost by Dr. Turtle. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details. <laughs>